All right, let's, uh, let's return to the study of the book of Genesis and the life of Jacob and a theology of limping. And we'll, we'll start in verse 26 this morning and read through the end of the chapter. Uh, Genesis chapter 32 at verse 26. Hear now that which is the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of the living God. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. The story about the life of Jacob does not end with a dislocated hip. Because no, no Christian's life can end on a sour note. The end will come for him and for us much later, but it will be on, it will be completed on a note of triumphant grace. But on the way to that note of triumphant grace, uh, in this transformation process that seems to be, that is going on in all of us, uh, it seems to include a great deal of events where we lose. I, I know personally, uh, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but um, my first great loss as a Christian occurred about about 15 years into my Christian life. I'd love to tell you about it, but we don't have time. But, um, you know, I, I talk to people all the time and I ask them, well, when did you become a Christian? And they, and so frequently they say something like this. They say, um, well, I, I think I became a Christian in high school. But it wasn't until after the, that I really got serious about walking with Jesus. It wasn't until after the, Whatever the blank, whatever fills the blank for you later. It wasn't until after the divorce. It wasn't until after the car accident. It wasn't until after uh, the job loss. It wasn't until after that. Until I really got serious about chasing after Jesus Christ. Because, guys, it seems in so many of our experiences that, and, and I would dare say all of us, that there's something that happens that takes us from one plateau of spiritual development and, and we take this quantum leap upwards. 
And that thing that happens to cause that quantum leap is normally an occasion of losing. In Jacob's life, um, that event was a wrestling match. A wrestling match with God. And, and the advance, that is, the advance in his soul, this quantum leap in Jacob's soul, is, is indicated and, and taught in this whole new name that Jacob gets. This name thing. Um, you know, Jacob, uh, the, the, God says, what's your name? He says, Jacob. And, and he said, well, what's your name? And he never answers. That is, God never answers. Um, Jacob has a new limp. And thus, Jacob has a new name. Those things go together. They're, they're inseparable, guys. The wrestling match leads to a limp. That is the mark of this transformation, this ongoing transformation in Jacob. But the proof of the change indicated in the text is that he gets a new name. He gets a new name given to him by God. He, he, um, he goes from being Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, the one who struggled with God. In the story, he, he asks for a blessing, and he gets one. But it's not exactly what Jacob had thought of. The blessing is not a new hip. Nor was it for Paul, does he get the, does, did he get the thorn removed from his flesh? No. The blessing for Jacob is the new name. And gang, we've discussed this whole naming thing before here, and, and it's... Uh, uh, it, it's pretty important in the Bible. Naming is a pretty important thing. It's a big deal in the Bible. Names tell a story. Gang, I know you don't remember this, but let me just... In the study of Jacob, you remember way back in chapter 29, and Leah has those four children, those four sons, and she names them. Everyone. And in every name, you get a new glimpse, a new insight into Leah. Because she is packing her life story into those names. Well, that's what naming is in the Bible, guys. We've, we've talked about this whole naming thing before. But, this, but for this morning, there's two things that you've got to remember about this naming thing. So stay with me for a minute. Gang, as I said, names are pieces of self-revelation. Um, you know, that's how God taught people what he was like. He gave us names. And in the names was a, was an indicator of his character. It's a, it's a piece of communication. It's a piece of self-disclosure. It's a piece, it's a, it's a, uh, a signpost towards one's identity. That's what names are. But perhaps even more than important than that, at least for this story, is the question of who names whom. Alright, for instance, let me tease this out for you a bit. Who named your children? Well, my wife and I named our kids. Well, who named you? Well, my parents named us. Well, sure. Well, tell me this. Who named Jesus? 
Wasn't his parents. It wasn't Mary and Joseph. No, no, no. It was a name that was given to him by God, delivered by an angel. Okay, still with me? Uh, in Genesis 2, who names the, 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 the animals? Uh, that would be Adam. Okay, one more. Who named God? He names himself. Because, guys, I hope you can see the point. The point is, this prerogative of naming is found in the hands of the superior. Um, To name is to exercise a prerogative. It's, It's to exercise a right of dominion. When you name something... You are exercising a right of dominion, just like you did when you named your kids. Now, with all that in mind, go back to the story. Jacob wants to extract a name from the man, but he never gets one. But when he's asked his name by the man... Jacob immediately gives up his name in an act of surrender, in an act of yielding to a superior. So the first thing you need to see is that Jacob is not the superior. And maybe for the first time in his life, he realizes that he's not on first. The other thing I want you to notice is when he's, when he's asked his name, it's almost, it's, it's immediate. And he says, my name is Jacob. Now, guys, remember what Jacob meant? Remember when his parents, when he, he tried to pull his brother Esau back into the womb and they named him Jacob because he's the deceiver, he's the heel grasper, he's the supplanter, he's the schemer. And so God asks him his name and he says, Almost embarrassed, he says, my name is Deceiver. My name is Schemer. And God says, not anymore, big boy. Those days are over. And Jacob walks away from a life of deceit and walks into the sunlight of Peniel. The face of God. Much of his old way of doing things. That's over. Fini. Kaput. Guys, just as an aside, you know, I've got a Russian grandson. He was adopted from Russia. And when, when he first got over here, the English-Russian thing, trying to understand what, you know, everybody was saying. He didn't know any words and they didn't know any words and... But one of the word, one of the first words that everybody could exchange was the word kaput. Because it means a whole lot of things in Russian. It means done, broken, over, no good. And, and he, little Kolya used kaput just about every other sentence. But the point is, Jacob's old way of doing things. Kaput. That's over, big boy. Now, guys, the rest of what I want to say to you this morning is I want to tell you what good news that is. Okay? 
I want to tell you what, it, what good news it is when you get a new name. That's all I want to tell you. All right, to do that, let me tell you just a little, I think you probably already know this stuff, but in terms of, psychologists will tell you that the single belief that is most toxic to any relationship is the belief that the other party cannot change. Did you get that? The, the, the thing that's most toxic to a relationship is when one of the parties determines that the other party cannot change. That's when divorces occur. Uh, a wife takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it and then she says, okay, it's never going to change. And that's when she sees the attorney. When she finally comes to the conclusion that change is out of the question. Out of the question. Um, others in psychology will go, even go so far as to suggest that depression, that most, that many people are in depression because of the, the despondency of thinking that change is not possible. My situation is always going to be like this. I'm always going to be like this. And thus, depression. Now listen to me. One of the beauties of the Christian gospel that we preach, one of the features of that gospel that is most beautiful is the promise that change can take place. You don't always have to be a deceiver. You don't always have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to have an addiction to gambling. You don't have to be a homosexual. Because change can take place. Guys, by the way, that's one of the reasons that you'll never hear me call any of those things sicknesses. When you call those things sicknesses, what I think you're doing is I think you are robbing people of hope. Because if those things are sicknesses, unfortunately, nobody has put together a medicine to help. But if you call them what the Bible calls them, then here's the promise. Change is possible. In this story, gang... The sun rises on a new man. And it's taught to you in this whole idea that God says to him, Ah! No, no, no! Your name's not Jacob anymore, big boy! It's Israel! Jacob is transformed. And he's transformed not by getting a new plan stand. He's transformed by God's sweet Generous, gracious intervention. It's God's specialty. Guys, you know the story in John 9. You remember, you know the story when, when the guy that was born blind from birth, remember that? And, uh, Jesus heals him and gives him his sight and the Sanhedrin calls him in and, and, uh, the Sanhedrin's just grilling him, boy. You know, why? Where'd you come from? Who's your parents? What happened to your eyes? You know, it's on and on. And they're just, you know, just inundating him with questions. 
And so finally he says, oh, 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 hold on. Could, could you guys hold on just for a second? He says, let me tell you something. I can't answer all your questions. But this much I know. I once was blind. But I now see. No more questions. Now, guys, all I'm, all I'm, I want to tell you three or four quick things about the beauty of this change. But the great hope of, our, of the gospel we preach is that change, change happens. It can happen. It does happen. Look at, look at us. Some of you will sit there and say, well, three years ago, I'd have never thought I'd be sitting to this wild man. Listen to this guy. I never thought I'd be finding myself in a church on Sunday mornings. What's happened? Oh, I don't know. I don't know what's happened. I know this, that most of us can look into the face of heaven and say, well, you know, I can tell you this much. I used to be blind. I'm not blind anymore. Because God has wrought this work in me. And it wasn't because I went to some kind of self-help seminar. No, no, no. It was because God changed me. Now, let me tell you four quick things about that change and we're done. First of all, you, you must understand that it is only a sovereign who changes nature. He changes character. It's only a sovereign, like this one, who gives new names. He changes Abram to Abraham. He changes Sari to Sarah. He changes Simon to Peter. He changes Saul to Paul. Only God does that. Gang, uh, a text you might know. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, that says, Unless the Lord builds the house, he who builds, builds in vain. Unless the Lord changes the name, he who seeks to change the name will change in vain. Unless the Lord uh, changes the character, only you trying to seek to change the character will change in vain. Because it's only, it's only this one, this mysterious man that changes names. This is the only way change happens, ladies and gentlemen. At a, at a fundamental spiritual DNA level. This happens by God's work. He's the only one that's good at this. Here's the second thing I want you to know about the change. The new name that, that Jacob gets is the name Israel. Now, you've heard that because it's a nation now, but it wasn't then. Israel is a name that means you've struggled with God. Gang, when we think of the term Israel, we think, okay, that is equated with the people of God. Good. Now, if names are revelatory... And they are. Then here's what the name of Israel means about us. That fundamentally, we are strugglers with God. The nation of Israel has struggled with God for centuries and still does. But people like us, people of faith, we frequently get a little beaten up because we're not always as certain about God as as we pretend to be. I mean, we're struggling. Gang, our history as Christians is a history of our struggles with Him. To understand God is, very frankly, a struggle. At times, our circumstances are, are utterly baffling to Him. And He offers Little, if any, explanation about what he's up to. Guys, um, 
Write this down. You, you don't, we can't look at it now. We don't have time. But write down Mark 4, 38. It's one of those stories about Jesus being in the boat. Remember, he was on the Sea of Galilee and has one of those big storms. And, and the, you know, the winds are blowing and the guys are straining at the oars. And, and uh, you know, they're just having the hardest time. And Jesus is in the front of the ship sleeping. And one of the disciples... One of the disciples goes to him at the front of the ship and wakes him up and he looks at him and he says, Do you not care that we perish? Do you not care that I'm in the mess that I'm in? Do you not care that my marriage is unraveling? Do you not care that... This cancer went from 16 to 32? Do you not care? And I'm telling you, my brother and sister in Christ, eventually, your walk with Jesus Christ will lead you to the place where you will say, Do you not care? Do you not care what's happening? A little bit later in that same gospel, Mark 9, there's a man that brings his diseased child to, uh, to Jesus. And, and Jesus deals with him and the guy says, Oh, Lord, I believe. But could you possibly help me with my unbelief? And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, more than you want to admit it, that's where we are. You know why? Because we're strugglers. You remember the little story about Jesus, 12 years old in the temple, and, and uh, Mary and Joseph have gone on with the caravan. They can't find him. And, and um, so they go back to Jerusalem, and they're frantic, and they're wondering, where is our little boy? <laughs> and they find him in the temple. And, and, um, and, and Mary, he says something to Mary, didn't you not know I'd be about my father's business? And, and Mary pondered these things and stored them in her heart. But you, you know why? Because Jesus will inevitably confound people who love Him. He will inevitably confound you. Because fundamentally, ladies and gentlemen, a walk of faith is a walk where we struggle. We struggle to understand with limited information. Okay, that's number two. Number three, the text says that Jacob prevailed. Oh my, how in the world has this crippled, bankrupt hustler prevailed? I mean, he's limping. Well, gang, it has to do with the new name. Let me try to explain this. But remember again, Jacob asks God for his name and God doesn't answer God asked Jacob for his name, and Jacob replies immediately. Now, here's the point. When this is over, and Jacob walks away, he walks away with two things, kind of. He walks away with a new name, and he walks away without one. That is, he's he's in possession of his new name, but he's also not in possession of a full description 
of the one that he's wrestled with. And he walks away knowing that he's been given a new name, but he's been given a new name by a God who does not yield to full disclosure. He walks away with a relationship. He walks away with a new relationship to a God that he doesn't completely, fully understand. I got a new name, all right, but I don't fully understand his because he didn't give it to me. Tell me, my brother and sister in Christ, do you want his name? Do do you... uh, Do you want to know the one whose name that he won't give you and that be enough for you? Or are you going to have to go invent yourself one that will make you comfortable? Do you want the name of the one who names himself without consulting you? Do you want to know the one... Who will not grant you your every wish just because you're wishing it? Do you want to know the one who won't conform to your image? But made you in his? And is right now producing a set of circumstances, some of which are painfully hard to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know him? If you do, here's what you're going to have to walk with. You're going to have to walk in the glory and the knowledge and the beauty of your new name. And with a whole pot full of questions about who, he's, who he is and what he's like. Can you do that? Jacob could, and he did. And thus he prevailed. He prevailed not over God, but he prevailed over his own need, his own demand for God to explain himself to me. My brother and sister in Christ, can you follow a God whose ways often baffle you? Will you yield? Will you obey a God whose ways often defy you worse? Then you'll prevail too. One more thing and I'm done. Gang, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you're gonna have to think through this one with me. All right, you ready? Um, I tell you what, let's do this first. Let's find two passages of Scripture, and we're going to keep our fingers in both passages, and we're going to look back and forth, okay? Let's find Ezekiel first. Ezekiel 36, put your finger there. Ezekiel is after Jeremiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Get Ezekiel 36 in your lap. Isn't this fun? Isn't it fun to have God's Word available to us, and we can study it together? I hope that's fun for you. Uh, all right, stick your finger in Ezekiel 36, and then go find Colossians. That's in the New Testament. Colossians, you know, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Find Colossians chapter 3. 
Now hold open both of those passages. Now, got those two? Here's, here's the fourth piece of good news about the change that God wrought, produces in his people. Gang, most of my biggest mistakes as a Christian came because I forgot that I am now not what I once was before. I am not Jacob. I am Israel. Second Corinthians 5 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. I am a new creation. Now that may sound like a whole lot of preacher talk to you, but listen. And I think you'll find it's far more than that. Gang, look with me first at that Ezekiel 36 thing. We're going to read two verses, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. 36, 26, and 27. Now follow it, guys. God is speaking and he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, guys, there is a very significant sequence there. Did you notice it? The sequence is, I'm going to remove that heart of stone of yours. I'm going to replace it with the heart of flesh. And thus, my spirit comes along with it. And then... You will walk. You will obey. You will follow my rules. Now, gang, the new, keep your finger there. The New Testament instructs us that in our, our battles with the sin and flesh and the devil, that I am always to work from the indicative to the imperative. Now, boy, that was clear, Jimmy. Um, I've said it before, but I didn't understand it back then either. Let's try it again. Guys, keep your finger in Ezekiel 36, but go over to the Colossians 3 thing. And let me read you three verses. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Indicative. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Indicative. Then you will appear with Him in glory. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, imperative. Do you see the sequence again? This is who I am. My life is hidden with Christ and God. Indicative. And the appeal of the New Testament, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of obedience, is always an outgrowth of the indicative. Of who I am, I, of who I am leads to the imperative. Just like you find in Ezekiel 36. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna perform this wonderful work of changing your hearts, and then you're gonna go obey me. Gang, 
both of these passages tell me that first, it tells me first who I am. And then it appeals to me to obey. The indicative precedes the imperative. Never, never the other way around. And that's what religion does, ladies and gentlemen. Religion of something I don't want to be a part of. But religion always turns it around and says, if you want to be something, then do it like this. And thus, you'll become something. Christianity says, oh, no, 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 no. That's completely backwards. The imperative flows out of the indicative. Based on who I am. It's because I know who I am in Christ that I'm a new creature. That my name is not Jacob anymore. It's Israel. It's then when I begin to wage war on my flesh and my sin and temptation and the devil. Never the other way around. Gang, the New Testament has not told me to obey and then become. The New Testament tells me to become and then I will obey. And I'm saying to you that most of my mistakes as a Christian have occurred because I have forgotten that I am not now what I once was. You know, guys, every day brings with it numerous opportunities for us to act like the women and the men of God that we were created to be. We can be joyful in, a, in an office full of complainers. We can be content in a culture that keeps encouraging us to get more and more. We can be pure in a world of the illicit. We can be faithful in, in a crowd of the selfish. Or... I can listen to all those people around me, and, or even worse, I can listen to the deadly voice that's lurking inside my own soul saying, ah, You're nothing new. You're just like us. You're Jacob. No, I'm not. I am not. I'm Israel. And I'm brand new. And I belong to Jesus Christ who is my life. And sin will no longer have dominion over me. Why? Because of the glorious ability that God has to change me from the inside out. Because of the sovereign work of grace that He performed when He took out a heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh and has thus changed my whole spiritual nature I'm new. I'm brand new.
Folks, the crying need of a sinful man is not for more church or even more prayer. The need is for a new heart. And that is God's specialty. And now you know How glorious is the gospel that we preach. Go preach it someplace. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind your people of the great work that you have wrought in us. That from the inside out you have changed us. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. And thus, O oh God, we now have the, um, the Spirit of God enabling us to live like people who belong to Jesus Christ. Tell us that over and over again, Father. Work it deep into our souls. Press it deep at the base of our souls so that we might not yield to a world that wants to convince us that we're really not different. And Father, for those we know and love who have yet to experience the great change of the gospel, use us to announce and proclaim the beauties and excellencies of Jesus Christ for the whole world. We ask it, of course, in his name.